You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Scheist Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Scheist, and I know it's been a little while since we've gotten together. Bad Movies We Love has taken over much of the dedicated time I have for editing, recording, podcasting, and all that. But heading into 2024, I made up my mind that I want to at least have one specific thing that I focus on for this show. And while it was fun doing the football picks and all that, kind of just got away from me, had the holidays, had the wedding, had the honeymoon, no time for football, but it's 2024. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and that website was created as a way for me to engage with film, write about film, and talk to other people about it. And so I want to embody that same energy in this show and do more film-related content. So if you're a reader of thescheiss.com, you'll know that on Fridays, most of the time, as long as I have the time to get it done, I do a comprehensive release radar of all of the films that are coming out for that particular release weekend. I do sort of brief one, two sentence trailer reactions most of the time. Sometimes I've even seen the movie before I get a chance to do the release radar, and in that case, I'll typically give a general overview of what I thought, whether or not I would recommend it, etc., but I try to keep it brief because there's typically at least 20 movies to get through in any given release weekend, at least nowadays. And so for the purposes of what I'm going to do here, I just want to talk about everything that I watched from the beginning of the week and the beginning of the year until now. So... Welcome to This Week at the Movies. Okay, we are rolling. Now, part of what I was doing last year while I was not writing the movie reviews that I should have been, that I wanted to be writing, was I was working on a year-long film project that... For now, I'm just calling it Film 365. I don't know if that name's going to change. doesn't really matter that much, but the idea was that I was going to watch 365 films. I knew that watching those was not going to be something that I could do once a day. I knew sooner or later I wasn't going to be able to keep up the pace of watching one a day. So my goal was to just reach 365, one four every day of the year. And by the end of December, it was coming down to the wire. I backed myself into a corner, and at one point, I did the math, and I thought that I had 4.7 movies per day to watch in order to catch up and get to that 365 mark. But turns out I did the math wrong and I actually had 5.2 something movies to watch per day in order to get caught up. So the whole last week of December 
basically ever since I got back from the honeymoon to the end of the year, it was just a sprint of watching, watching, watching as much as I could. And part of that was, hey, there's some 2023 movies that I need to get caught up with. And I ended up watching 150 movies that were 2023 releases. And I did ultimately get to that 365 number. I think I finished at 366 was the final count at the end of December 31st. So that number of 2023 films I watched has grown because typically during the first two weeks, first month of the new year, I'm spending a lot of that time playing catch up for all of the stuff that I didn't get a chance to see in theaters or on streaming wherever that was 2023 slated releases that I feel like I would have an incomplete picture of the cinema year from my perspective if I don't catch up and watch those films. And right now I'm looking at that list and I see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 movies that I knew that I wanted to watch and that may or may not factor into sort of when I do my year end shice awards thing. So I wanted to hopefully get to those, but I've been dragging my feet. And sometimes at the end of the night, I just want to watch something simple that's 90 minutes-ish, maybe an hour 45, and I can get in, get out, be done with it. So I still have this next week to basically catch up on all these movies that I feel like that I need to see in order to get to where I want to be. But starting this year, I still had some 2023 titles that were just on the periphery that, you know, weren't super important to my film picture, but also stuff that fit the bill of being easy access and easily digestible. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those first, because that was the first thing that I did at the beginning of this year. And so I came out of the gates and I knew that there was stuff on Netflix that has been critically acclaimed that will probably factor into award season heavily, but I just haven't been ready to pull the trigger on those things yet. So I pivoted and I went to Hulu and I was looking at some of the stuff that I wanted to see that was on Hulu throughout the year. And granted, they don't have a ton of Hulu original films released this year, especially not in comparison to Netflix, but there was Quiz Lady, and that's the one that I started with, and that was directed by Jessica Yu, writer uh, was Jen D'Angelo, and starred Aquafina, Sandra O, oh, and Will Ferrell, and I like this movie. I mean, it didn't make me rethink anything about the previous year or the movies that I had seen. It didn't really... F- factor in to the awards picture in the way that I see it. So it was one of those movies where I was like, okay, I can watch this and not have to really think about factoring it in to any other work that I have to do. But that said, it's a perfectly enjoyable film. It knows what it wants to be. It has fun being that movie. And I really want to see Sandra Oh do more kind of zany insane sort of comedy roles like this and I hope that this sort of opens the door but you really did have a nice robust overall cast for this I mean 
Holland Taylor plays the very annoyed, nosy neighbor, and she plays that very well. Of course, Will Ferrell is playing the talk show host in this. Well, game show host, I should say. And we've got Jason <laughs> Jason Schwartzman being just a complete smarmy douchebag. You've got Paul Rubens here in a supporting role, Tony Hale as well. So a lot of faces that you would recognize and that would probably give you maybe a little added incentive to watch this movie. So if you haven't checked it out, it's one of those 2023 stragglers, but it is something that I enjoyed and I would probably recommend, especially if you're looking for something that isn't too heady, maybe award season and all the talk of all these, you know, highly acclaimed movies and all these prestigious awards has gotten a little tiresome. I know by the time the Oscars roll around, it's going to be very tiresome, which is why that January release calendar last year had stuff like Megan. This year we get stuff like The Beekeeper. So I like sort of flipping the coin and being able to do that at the beginning of the year as well. From there, I went straight to another Hulu original, and that was The Mill, which was a sci-fi horror film, I guess, but it was more like sci-fi mystery, and I think to me it felt like an episode of Black Mirror, I guess. Maybe a little bit too long for that, but that was the general vibe, and that was directed by Sean King O'Grady, written by Jeffrey David Thomas, Starring Lil Rel Howry, Pat Healy, Karen Obalom, and it's about this guy who finds himself in sort of like a work internment camp and doesn't know why he's there, doesn't know the purpose of what the work is, and the more it unfolds, you get this understanding that the reason that he is there is directly rated, related to his career and sort of how he envisions the future of his job and I would say for the first half of it you know as you as the audience me as the audience is forced to ask a lot of questions it is not super satisfying and then it sort of turns a corner in the last half and as you start to get more of those answers it becomes a much more interesting project and Howry is good in the lead. I think he is a solid dramatic actor who is capable of lead dramatic roles. I feel like this movie in particular maybe gave him too much to do in that sense, in that of the hour 46, it's almost him on screen by himself alone for I want to say like an hour and a half of that. And when you have an actor like Pat Healy, who could have played a much larger role earlier in the film and he's sort of disembodied so you know that there is a character there but you don't get to interact with him in a way that makes it meaningful towards the final push of the story so I just feel like with a guy that's as skilled of a supporting character actor as Pat Healy you really want to use him but I also understand this being a vehicle to show Howry as a leading man and a leading dramatic actor as well. But I feel like in terms of getting the best out of this story, it could have had some small tweaks to make it a little bit more functional in that way. Ultimately, I ended up liking it too. I actually had like a fairly long discussion with my wife about it after the fact. So that's typically a good sign. 
Moving on, I don't know that I'm going to always inject older movies that I end up watching because I want this week at the movies to be focused around either stuff that was in theaters that I just saw and stuff that's coming out more so than stuff from 10, 11 years ago. But for the sake of this very first episode, I'm going to include it anyway. And that was Dread from 2012. And that's directed by Pete Travis, written by John Wagner, Carlos Esquera, and Alex Garland, who you know from Ex Machina and many other things since then. But stars Carl Urban, Olivia Thirlby, Lena Hedy, Hedy, Heidi, Hedy. You know her as Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. And I had heard for a while from a couple of people that this movie was great, so much better than the original Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone. And I have a soft spot for that movie. It's a bad movies we love kind of movie for sure, but I think Stallone's charisma and Armand Asante's charisma are both the main points of watchability for that film. And so to pivot to Carl Urban, who's a good actor, by the way, but to have him be very mechanical almost the whole time, never takes his helmet off, I guess that's more true to the comic book character, but it makes for a very different viewing experience. And ultimately what I walked away from it thinking was that there is not a huge gap in overall quality between the two movies, at least when it comes to enjoyment. I feel like Dread in 2012 did a better job of understanding the movie that it wanted to be and executing that movie as such. But to me, it lacked some of the charm of the Stallone one. So ultimately good, I did like it, but I don't know that I really have a preference between the two. I would have to really think about that a lot harder. After that, I went back to the movie theater and I had the choice between Anyone But You, which I'm really not interested in, but I need to check off some 2023 films. Wonka, again, which I'm not really super interested in. I don't think it's going to factor into my end of year picture. I could be surprised and be wrong, but it's not something that's super high on my to-do list unless I've checked every other box. And then there was The Color Purple, which I read the book when I was in school. I saw the stage play. I saw the movie. I saw the musical adaptation as well on stage. And so by the time that we're now at this movie, which is a film adaptation of the stage musical, it's a very complicated thing. It's not the thing that it was when I read the book in school anymore. However, I felt like that was probably the best choice in terms of quality and value when it came to making sure I crossed my T's and dotted my I's on 2023. And I actually ended up liking the movie quite a bit. The costumes and the production design are really fantastic and it hits its emotional cues pretty well. You know, I was in it mostly for Coleman Domingo, who I'm a big fan of, and I still have to see Rustin. But I'm glad for him to be getting high-profile work on a regular basis. I think his breakout is coming soon in terms of leading man work. So once I see Rustin, then I'll have a better sort of grasp on what I think his future looks like. But The Color Purple, it worked for me. It's not 
near the top of my year-end list or anything like that, but it does some things very, very well, and it still made me emotional in the ways that I think it was supposed to make me emotional, so I think it succeeds on that front as well. So if you haven't seen it and you're looking for something that is maybe different than a lot of the other things that are being talked about for the impending awards season, I think that's a good choice. Then came home and I've got an upcoming episode of Bad Movies We Love and I had to do some homework so I popped in Event Horizon from 1997 and I know that this movie is generally well liked. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that was like, I think this is a bad movie. Yet the critics really don't seem to like it. But watching it again for who knows the nth time, it's still good. It's still entertaining. There was one criticism that I read that sort of seemed to make sense to me a little bit that things just go from very environmentally scary like haunting in the background and then it jumps from that to like the movie's basically ending at that point so it does seem to lack a solid middle maybe but the cast is so good Lawrence Fishburne Kathleen Quinlan Sam Neill Jolie Richardson Richard T. Jones Jack Noseworthy Jason Isaacs you know this is an excellent cast, and I think in terms of it being sort of a space sci-fi ensemble, it reminded me, well, I shouldn't say it reminded me, but I could see the influences of a movie like Ridley Scott's Alien much more clearly in this film this time. And now Alien's great, and it's a movie that is a sci-fi film everybody can point to and be like, that's great sci-fi, that's great horror. I know several people who it's their favorite film. So in that way, maybe the reason I liked Event Horizon so much all of these years is because a lot of the aesthetic is similar to Alien. And then it takes that space environment and mixes it with Hellraiser, which is a horror franchise that I grew up with. And so I have a soft spot for that, too. And this is one that's directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, so he's going to get, I think, his second ever movie on bad movies we love after the Resident Evil, the first adaptation. And it was written by Philip Eisner. I don't know if there's any relation to Michael Eisner, but you get a pretty good sci-fi horror film out of this, and it's not over long. It's barely over 90 minutes, so... Maybe in a perfect world, this movie's about two hours and we get a whole bunch of middle ground, but I like it for what it is. It's still very easy to watch. It's still very creepy. And ultimately, I think when I take a step back and I look at it, what I want is a prequel, a requel? I don't even know what it would be at this point, but I want to see what happened to the first crew because that movie seems very intense very dark when you get the glimpses of how gory this movie can be but doesn't show you very often that movie i think would be very watchable because you still get the same ship you still get sort of the same concept but we get to see that really dark alternate dimension that the ship traveled to and exactly what happened to that first crew and I don't know how, with all of the remakes that have happened, with all of the intellectual property just being recycled at this point, how this idea has never made it to the top of the food chain for anybody. So if anybody's listening to this, please, please, please 
let's get that movie made. For those of you that know me, you know I'm working on sort of a lot of different things at once, which is why this list of movies that I've given you is kind of jumping all over the place. But I host a online film club that is the Scheist International Film Club. And every Saturday we get together and we have discussions. And every month is a different topic right now. So currently we're doing Out With The Old, In With The New. It's all movies from the 2020s. So everybody submits a pick. It goes in the bingo cage or the wheel of destiny in this case. I spin the wheel and then the wheel chooses. And we had a couple of postponements, but the first thing that we ended up having as a quote-unquote assignment was a spree from 2020 and that's directed by Eugene Kotliarenko and he wrote it with Gene McHugh stars Joe Keery who you probably would recognize most from Stranger Things David Arquette has a very funny weird cameo in this Kyle Mooney from SNL Sashir Zamata I think was an SNL alum as well Misha Barton is in this very briefly so a pretty good cast, but this is a movie that, when thinking of its impact and what it's going to be 10 years from now, is one that I had to circle back on, because I saw this in 2020, and I liked it, and I wrote about it in 2020 for that reason, but it was a movie that I didn't necessarily connect with or feel as deeply for as I did the second time around. It just... It changed. Like, it's very stylish. It's very creative in the way that it's shot. Joe Keery is a very good lead performance in this. And I think it's easy to just vibe with it and have fun. And that's what I did the first time. But in watching it the second time, I ended up feeling just this huge sense of sadness for this character. And I think that's ultimately what the purpose of the movie is because the commentary on social media culture and this pursuit, this like infinite draining pursuit of likes, of affirmation, just drives people to do very strange things. And so it's much more critical of social media than I thought it was the first time, even though I knew it was being critical of it. It just, it felt sharper, it felt more adept. And I think part of that is because when I first watched it in 2020, that was like the beginning of me spending a significant amount of time on social media. Uh, you know, I had a Facebook account, I had Instagram, I had Twitter since 2012 or whatever. So it's like I had these accounts, but I just never spent a ton of time on them interacting with people. And then the pandemic hits. And so I'm on Twitter, like looking for social interaction a little bit more. And so over the course of those three years between watching that movie and watching it again for the purpose of the film club it changed and i felt like it was a much more impactful film than i had given it credit for the first time even though i liked it so if you haven't seen spree it is stylish modern synth techno horror which is a lot of fun but also keep an eye out for some of the subtleties in that as well Last night, I went back to the theaters to check out one of those 2023 movies that, I don't know, it's basically getting released in 2024. It's one of those award season things that's super annoying, and I'm sick of it at this point. Like, everybody knows that we've got a particular calendar year for film, 
and you know they release these movies in super limited release just to make sure that it technically premieres in the year that they want to get it out there and then it doesn't go to wide release until the following year so all of the studios out there doing that stop it's really annoying and it makes it very difficult for all of us who are film fans that like to talk about your films and support them and share them around and have these sort of nuanced discussions around them. It makes it very difficult when it's like, hey, what's your 2023, you know, movies list looking like? What are your favorite movies from 2023? It's like, I don't know. Most of them that I really want to see are still releasing in 2024. So I'll have to let you know in two months. That said, the movie that I went to go see was All of Us Strangers, and that was directed by Andrew Haig, written by Andrew Haig, but adapted from the Taichi Yamada book. Uh, I think it was a novel or a novella. And stars Andrew Scott, everybody's favorite it boy right now, Paul Mescal, although that might be changing as we move into this year, but also Claire Foy and Jamie Bell in supporting roles that are super important to what this film is trying to do and I cried a lot during this movie I mean it's a film about grief and how grief is not linear that even 30 years down the line there's a lot of stuff that is difficult to deal with and you maybe can't quite put a face on any of that stuff until you actually stop and face it and when you run from it it causes a lot of issues that you may not be aware of at the time but you get really excellent performances uh, in the lead from Andrew Scott and with Mescal as the primary supporting actor but yeah Jamie Bell and Claire Foy are both excellent in this it probably hit close to home for me personally because of the subject matter of like why grief is in this film and I'm not going to spoil it because like I said this movie technically a 2023 movie just went into actual release nationwide release this past weekend and the good news is that the theater was mostly pretty full to be honest and there was a Q&A screening with Andrew Scott at that theater earlier in the day and I didn't find out about it until late. And so I was like, all right, maybe I can see if I can get a ticket and go to this thing at like 11.30, 11.45 in the morning. Completely sold out. So it's a really good sign for sort of independent art house cinema to have that kind of level of interest at this point. And to have that kind of support, I think, is even more important given what this movie is. And like I said, I don't want to spoil it, but I thought it was excellent. I'm not sure if it's in my top 10 or not because I don't really do a top 10 films list I don't really rank movies I don't rate movies so I know it's good I can confidently say it's one of the best films of the year but I also don't know where it would fall like in the 150 plus movies that I've seen from 2023 I'm not sure but I know that it's near the top uh, without question and then to close out the week, I came home, plopped on the couch, and I took a look at that list, that hit list of movies that I was trying to scratch off, and I didn't choose any of those, but I looked back and I was like, you know what, there was some movies from like earlier in the year that I wanted to see that I wouldn't say are essential viewing experiences for me to wrap my head around 2023, but I really love the original Becky, and... So I knew that The Wrath of Becky had come out and it just kind of passed me by and I forgot about it. And 
it was only about an hour 40, hour 30, something like that. So I knew it was right in the wheelhouse of what I could stay awake for after getting home from a late movie around 10.30. Directed by Matt Angel and Suzanne Coote, who also joined in and wrote it as well with Nick Morris, Lane Sky, and Ruckus Sky. I think those were the screenwriters of the original Becky. And I think... 2020 maybe 2019 but this stars Lulu Wilson is back uh, the villain character this time is replaced by Sean William Scott who is a very menacing presence in this film and I would like to see him get a little bit more of that in terms of villain opportunity and for most of it like I recognize Kate Siegel but I didn't really recognize the vast majority of the rest of the cast but you know ultimately that doesn't really matter it's not that kind of movie that is banking heavily on a big ensemble cast to all pull off these nuanced performances it's really about Becky I mean the movie's called The Wrath of Becky and if you've seen the first one you'll have an idea of what that is but it's bloody it's not quite an action movie but it's a little actiony and you know I see it listed as action horror thriller and I think thinking of it in terms of that that's pretty accurate but I had fun with this one I feel like it maybe wasn't as charming as the original but there was also no element of surprise available here whereas in the first film you don't really know what you're getting into in this one you know exactly what you're getting into and that's why you're here to watch it so it's a different experience but by the end of this film even though I felt maybe, hey, it lost a little bit of its charm, it still was a lot of fun. Lulu Wilson's still good in it. John William Scott was a good villain. And I just want to see the end of this trilogy because where this one ends tells me that there's a little bit more out there. And if we get to see that movie, I think we see Becky fully unhinged. And I don't know what that movie title is going to be but I think at this point if you could make these first two there's no reason to not finish this story arc and make it all three because I think there's a nice sort of story available to tell in a trilogy here and it's kind of like a little bit John Wickish you know there's her dog involved and the revenge and all that so I think if you like the John Wick style of actioner and you're sort of into revenge flicks this is a good one if you haven't seen the first one start there and then circle back and give this one a chance and i think that's gonna be a wrap for this first version of the show i don't know exactly beyond this what is gonna transpire i don't know what this show is gonna look like going forward i'll probably start to release it on maybe Thursday or Friday and then fold in some of the release radar stuff. But I think for the purpose of getting the first one out there, this is a good place to start. So if you listen, thank you everybody for listening and I hope you tune in because I'm going to hopefully be able to refine this over time and have it be the regular segment that pins down this show for me. So thanks. Take care, everybody. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode, and please remember that the opinions expressed on this show are just that. If you like what you heard, I still believe word of mouth is the best way to help, so please tell somebody. 
but liking, subscribing, and rating the show help out a lot too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at thescheiss.com or at Podcast on Twitter. And as usual, be well, stay safe, and have fun no matter how you get your movies. Bye.